0: All right. If you could bow with me for a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you for another opportunity to study, another opportunity to hear your word, another opportunity just to fellowship. Um, We just thank you for waking us up this morning and letting us see another day. Um, We thank you for just keeping us safe during these times and um, with the weather outside, and um, you just continue to protect us and keep us. We just thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace that you shower us with each and every day. We ask that you are blessed this time. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Good morning. I hope that uh, everyone is uh, doing well and uh, staying safe and um, spending time with family and just really having that that quiet time also um, spending with the Lord. I have... Uh, I have one person. Um, if, you, if you come in, make sure that your uh, audio um, is on mute and your video is on mute as well. Um, I'm just making sure I adjust the settings here um, before I actually begin there. All right. Um, well, go ahead and get started. I'm actually going to share my screen with you. Um, so that you're able to follow along um, with it. If you logged in early, hope that um, maybe a couple other songs you enjoyed um, as we uh, prepare for our lesson. So give me a moment here. Let me share the screen with you. All right um, So right now you should see uh, the title of Just our church um, here I'm gonna go through the slides and talk to them as well um, We are just as a my way of recap We have spent prior to uh, Easter Sunday and the Sunday before Easter we spent some time in the actual baptism of John the Baptist. Um, We've actually started the life of Jesus Christ in chronological order uh, way back, um, the beginning of December. So we have December, January, February, March, April. Um, So we've we've been in it pretty tough um, over these past five months. And the goal is to continue um, with it. Um, I love to teach, in an expository way, um, line by line, verse by verse, um, instead of topical, that um, uh, some ministers or preachers tend to do and not not have and can as well, but um, it's always good to see how events unfold and how events connect and relate to other events. And so, and I I chose to start here um, with us because, if we are to be Christians, that means to pattern after Christ. And so we can't pattern after someone that we don't know. And so that's really where we um, are in the study. So um, we remember that John the Baptist was out in the wilderness near the Jordan, and he was baptizing people um, and preparing their minds and hearts for the coming of Jesus Christ, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. His baptism was different. Uh, His baptism was more of, I recognize that I am a sinner and I need this Savior. Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit is, I believe in your saving work. Therefore, I am baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, And so, slight variance there. Uh, Nevertheless, As John the Baptist was out in the wilderness uh, preaching and teaching repentance and and baptizing, one day Jesus came. Jesus came to John the Baptist, and he came to him, and he asked to be baptized. And this is uh, what we were on recently. He asked to be baptized. John had an issue With it, John had an issue with it. If you remember, I want to actually go and read that passage of scripture um, for you, but I'm going to read it from Mark, the first chapter. Our lesson today will come from Matthew 4 1 through 4 and Luke 4 1 through 4, as we look at the temptation. But I'll come back to that. Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 13 says. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and a spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. that's a summary, that's a synopsis of what we'll be talking about today. So again, we remember that Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee to John the Baptist to be baptized by him in the Jordan. And then if you kind of remember the story, remember John had an issue with it. Jesus made a statement. He said forbid it not, or permit it, because it's it's, in essence it was necessary to fulfill our righteousness, if you remember that that scripture. It needed to happen. It needed to happen. There's a couple of points you wanna remember about that even as we transition into this lesson. First of all, we wanna remember that John recognized that himself representing fallen man John John recognized that he was unworthy, period. Not just that he was unworthy to baptize Jesus, even though that's true in the context. John recognized that he was unworthy in relation to Jesus Christ. He also recognized that Jesus was righteous, So John recognized that he was unworthy and he recognized that Jesus was righteous, that's true, that is the truth about the story. But that's important and significant to the story because Jesus said that it needed to happen because it represented Jesus taking unworthy man's place. Jesus, it foreshadowed what Jesus would do on the cross and that he would take unworthy man's place as a substitute on the cross. Then the, the amazing part happened when he was baptized. Is there was a, the, the, the heavens opened up and there was a voice that said, You are my beloved son. and you, I am well pleased. So he saw the ascending, the descending of the Holy Spirit like a dove. Not necessarily it was a dove, but like a dove. And so we had the Holy Spirit present there. And we also had the the voice of God the Father that said, You are my beloved son, and you are well pleased. And this voice was a loud, auditory voice. Those that were there were able to hear it. It wasn't like an inner voice. It was an outer voice. Then I picked this passage because it says, immediately the Spirit impelled or urged, and it's a strong urge. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. So, immediately after he was baptized, he's impelled by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness. And this is where we'll pick up in our actual um, study for today as we look at the temptation of Jesus Christ. This is a three part series, where we'll focus on the first part, which is the the very beginning. So what I decided to do was take this um, lesson, and you know, when you look at this um, monumental passage, you have to study it all the way around um, and so this passage of scriptures in matthew and that's really what we're focused on i'll tell you why in a moment but we're also bringing in luke um, and it gives us a little more insight to some things uh, mark just gives us what we just read more of a summary type than necessarily go into what actually took place during that 40-day period and then john doesn't speak of it um, his focus is a little different John doesn't speak of it. John just goes from Jesus. It it speaks of in John the first chapter, John recalling the time he baptized Jesus and people questioning and him identifying some things if you're familiar with John chapter one. So we'll focus right here um, with these parallel passages. It's Matthew 4, 1 through 4, and Luke 4, 1 through 4. So, I said that we'll focus in a little more on Matthew as opposed to Luke, and so let me tell you why. Matthew, many believe, or it's widely accepted, that Matthew is more chronological than Luke is. And I'll tell you why. One phrase helps most people to believe that Matthew was written more in a chronological order. At the very end of Matthew, at the very end of Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, he says, the third temptation, Jesus says, "Tell Satan to leave. He explains, you know, he rebukes Satan and he tells Satan to leave. And then the scripture says that the angels came and ministered unto him. So many believe that because of that statement, that's where the temptations ended and that's when they move on, and you see that in Matthew. Now, if you flip over to Luke, temptation two and three are flip-flop. So, the third temptation in Matthew is the second temptation in Luke, and then Luke takes Matthew's second temptation and makes it Luke's third. Um, Luke wrote more, it's believed that Luke wrote more geographical. He starts low and ascends high in elevation, if you look at those temptations. So because we're looking at the um, the life of Jesus Christ more in a chronological manner, we're gonna focus more into Matthew chapter four. Um, I least to have a method for doing things, you know. <laughs> um, now, many times when I've heard uh, the temptation of Jesus Christ being taught, many times preachers or pastors or ministers will teach it all in one session. If you notice, I've, I've broken it down into three sessions, but I, I just have a way of taking Something and just trying to stretch it all out Um, But there's so much into it um, For our uh, study that I didn't want to overlook Or just kind of burst through So I'm going to read through the entire passage I'm going to read, um, starting on the left side I'm not going to read the Luke 4 one But I'm going to keep it on the screen But I'm going to read the entire uh, four verses on Matthew uh, In the book of Matthew It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to first begin by looking at a phrase. I want to give a quick five-minute type of um, just quick lesson inside of our lesson as we talk about this whole um, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, so on and so forth. Because if you look over to the right, um, Luke chapter 4 begins with Jesus full of the Holy Ghost. We don't see that in the Matthew passage. We just says he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by devil. But if you look over the Luke passage, it says, Full of the Holy Ghost, full of the Holy Spirit. Yours might say full of the Holy Ghost. Kings James believe says full of the Holy Ghost. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. So I think it's worth some consideration that we talk about what this full of the Holy Spirit or full of the Holy Ghost means. I want to take you to a couple of passages where you see this word filled or full um, in different contexts. You're probably really familiar with Ephesians 5.18, which says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. Dissipation is just one of the words that means a, a draining of like energy of some sort. It's like a decrease of something. So what we really have here is this says, maximize this filling of the spirit, full of the spirit here. Um, not allowing anything else, he used the context that they would have been familiar with. Don't don't allow anything else to decrease that full capacity of being filled with spirit. You take another passage, um, like Luke um, chapter five. Um, this was the story where Jesus um, healed the paralyzed man. You remember they they were trying to bring the paralyzed man to Jesus; they couldn't get to him. Um, because of the crowd, they they went on top of the roof and let him down there. Um, <clears throat> and he forgives the man's sins, and he um, the, the religious leaders had a problem with that because they said it's blasphemy. Only God can heal people of their sins, and um, and he also says that your uh, that he heals them of his physical ailment here as well. Um, and then he says that. At the end it says, they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear. They were completely overtaken with fear. This is something that they hadn't seen before. Like, this was an amazing thing to them, and it caused them to be in a little bit of a panic. It says, we have seen remarkable things today. You take a passage, like, uh, flip over to Luke 6 this was the passage where he healed the man on the sabbath day um and then the man had the withered hand at the very end it says but they themselves were filled with rage these were the religious leaders they were looking they were trying to trap him they were trying to see whether he'd do something on the sabbath day so they had a reason to bring some accusations against him. they were filled with wrath they were completely overwhelmed with anger this is an uncontrollable overwhelming type of feeling there but when it says feel, when i'm, I'm pointing this word filled out these passages i'm saying to be completely overtaken by something uh you take john 16 um remember jesus was talking with the disciples he they were sad they were about to you know to, to miss their the one that they had loved their teacher he was about to go away and he knew that they were sad and it said that he says. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks where are you going? Because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. They were completely full of sorrow and sadness. They couldn't control themselves. It was a lot for them. This is the same field that Paul urges believers or commands believers to. And he says, be filled with the spirit, be completely controlled or dominated by the spirit of God, so the question comes in well, how do I become filled with the Spirit? Hey, what do I need to do? It's simple. You might say, Well, no, it can't be simple. Oh, it's simple, we complicate things, but it's quite simple. Um, and it's first John 1 and 9, a verse that I had to memorize as a kid. I've mentioned it sometimes before prayer something you should always think about prior to prayer or or studying a lesson like we're doing today. We never approach God's word or God's throne of grace with unconfessed sins. We always make sure we confess our sins. So 1 John 1 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is sin. So if we confess our sins, we remove the sin, God cleanses us from the sin, then we are completely filled with the Spirit. We have no sin. All we have left is the Spirit, that's it. We have to go back and remember this verse. Um, It was extremely important. John the Baptist was saying it was important. He said they were coming to them confessing their sins and being baptized. That was extremely um, significant in his baptism. Um, The second thing that we we know we need to do, once we're filled with the Spirit, um, we need to make sure that we're doing what's mentioned in Galatians 5, which we'll talk about in a moment. So it says Jesus not only was led by the Spirit of Matthew, but Luke tells us that he was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. So we have to know that there's a difference between being full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. So what's the big difference? Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So we're commanded to walk or be led by the Spirit. So the question you should be thinking to yourself is, how can I... So let's say I confess my sins, I'm filled with the Spirit, How do I transition that into walking by the Spirit or being led by the Spirit? This is the complicated part because this calls for something. Walking by the Spirit is an action word. This is action. This is a daily decision-making. This is your daily decision-making. This is walking by the Spirit. This is movement. This is momentum. You can't make the right decisions unless you go back to the Word of God. This is where your knowledge of the Word of God comes in. This is where these lessons that were taken come come to mind. Because we, we hear some things, we have to believe some things, we have to trust some things. Walking by the Spirit is doing what God says. It's being obedient to God. And you can't do what God says if you don't know what God says. How can you do what you don't know? So we ought to be taught We take in God's Word each and every day so that we can make our decisions based on God's Word. Now, this is where believing in God's Word and trusting God comes in mind. It's believing, it's trusting. So, when we look at this whole wilderness situation that's what the wilderness really represented. Remember, John went out into the wilderness believing that when he was led, he was feeling led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. I'm speaking of John the Baptist now because he believed that that's where God was calling him to go to carry out the mission. We know that that's true. God affirmed him because God sent people to him in the wilderness. He had to believe that. He had to trust in God, and he had to go out and do what God told him to do. We see the same thing is gonna happen with Jesus in the wilderness right here. So we go back to the passage. We see that Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. Matthew 4, 1 verse, verse 2 actually says, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Luke 4 says, And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. Just real quick, in the Matthew passage, you see the word fasted. You gotta understand that um, Matthew is writing uh, to a, a certain audience, um, an audience that is familiar or comfortable with Jewish rituals and customs, like, like fasting for example. Um, Luke just, uh, just tells the plain that he gave that. But I have those right next to each other Because Biblical fasting is Abstaining from food I repeat And that that for some Could be controversial but Biblical fasting is abstaining from food You see people all the time Saying I'm I'm fasting for God I'm going to give up the cell phone I'm fasting for God so I'm going to give up this That's fine but just know what I'm saying Biblical fasting is abstaining From food I leave that to you as to, to, to explain that the best way you can um, Jesus fasted he did not eat you go back into the Old Testament when the fasting took place when they humbled their spirit or afflicted their soul that all related to fasting they did not eat so this was important because this dealt with trusting and believing, trusting and believing. And this fasting took place 40 days here. Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days. He didn't eat for 40 days. I wouldn't last two hours. (laughs) He went for 40 days (laughs) without eating right there. Why is this 40 days part so important? You see 40 pop up throughout the scripture. Why is 40 days so important? Because it is necessary here in the lesson. I didn't want to talk about some things, you go all the way back to the children of Israel, the Israelites. That's yes, where you have to start. Um, they were in bondage. They were in affliction. They they were afflicted by the Egyptians. They were in oppression. God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their his descendants would inherit this land. Exodus three um, here is a is a scripture where God says. I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry. I'm aware of their suffering. Then it says, So I have come down. All right, I like that because we're studying Jesus Christ who came down to deliver us from our bondage and oppression, and that's sin. But he says, I came down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. All right, we, we know that. A land flowing with milk and honey. God delivered them, we know the stories, part of the Red Sea, uh, part of the waters, we know all of that. But what is clear during their whole wilderness experience is they did not believe God. They didn't believe God, they didn't believe in God. They did not believe. That is characterized by the Israelites throughout the entire time period. You can't flip a page in your Bible during that time when they didn't reject they did not believe they did not believe you you go further on you look you move ahead to numbers joshua was there with the people um or, well moses is there joshua's there also caleb is there this is where the spies were sent into the land they didn't believe to the point where they had to see it for themselves god told them that there was a land of milk and honey they didn't believe they wanted to go into the land themselves god allowed it they went spied out the land 40 days there was 10 spies that came back with a bad report. They said, oh, yeah, it had this and that, but there's also these big men that gonna kill us. They had this whole bad report and and it caused, it was a stumbling block to the people and the people began to be afraid. So then we have, you flip over to Numbers 14, they rebelled, they decided I'm gonna rebel. I'm not gonna do what God is saying to do, instead, like let's go back to Egypt. Let's let's go the other way. Let's find us another leader because this man's crazy. Let's go back to Egypt. All right. So they grumbled. They 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 rejected him. They cried. They were angry. They said, "Oh, we might we could have just died in Egypt. We're gonna die here in the wilderness. Everybody's gonna be destroyed. Let's go back to Egypt." All right. Um, you continue with Numbers, the 14th chapter. God makes this statement. He says that those, that those spies and everyone that followed them spies would die in the wilderness. Um, and then this last part um, down here, this last paragraph here that says, according to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear the guilt a year, even 40 years. So they were in the wilderness 40 years to represent the 40 days that they spied out the land, because of their unbelief as it related to God, right? So that was their punishment right there. And so they were in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness was important because it was a time of trying the people, testing the people, tested. It put them in a position where they would be tried and tested. I say tried and tested because it would be, where they would be tested to see if they believe, if they would stop and believe and trust in God. So God would provide some things for them in the wilderness. You, you remember that? that's the waters and different things like that, and bread and manna and all of these things. They had to believe that God would provide for them in a barren land. That's what the wilderness represented. Will I trust God to provide for me? And that brings us into back into our lesson. So Jesus is filled by the Spirit led by the Spirit into a place that represents total dependence on God, as opposed to depending on themselves. And then during this time, he's tempted by the devil. The devil came immediately, came to him. Um, I want to say, I, I read it a certain way. I said he was tempted by the devil. Um, he wasn't tempted by God. He was tempted by the devil, He wasn't tempted by God. James 1:13 says, "Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. So God wasn't tempting Jesus. God led Jesus into an area, to be tried and tested. It had to happen this way. It had to happen this way. If Jesus didn't defeat the devil, why would I believe that I could? So he had to be tried and tested. He had to go through the things that he went through. And so we have to, we have to remember that, um, we have to do what Jesus did and that's suit up and that's put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand. During those testing and trying times To be able to stand up against the wiles of the devil Which is what the scripture says In Ephesians 6 11 It says put on the whole armor of God So that you will be able to stand firm Against the schemes of the devil And so we're going to have an opportunity To see how Jesus did that Jesus will show us How to resist Temptation How to resist temptation Whenever we have issues We go back to what Jesus did and these were real temptations. These weren't. Uh, this isn't uh, allegory. This isn't fiction. These aren't temptation like no. These were real temptations. There. This isn't symbolic. These were real temptations. Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen says therefore since we have a great high priest a friend of Jesus who had passed through the heavens Jesus the Son of God let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We can be confident in that, knowing that everything that we're going through, Jesus went through and overcame. Then it says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can go to God during our time of need, and Jesus will intercede because he knows what we need in our time of need. That sounds like a tongue twister, but you understand what I'm saying, hopefully. So these were real temptations. We look at this passage, Jesus is being tempted by the devil. The devil says this, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. I've heard this taught in many different ways. I want to enlighten you on some things related to this. He says, if Satan is smarter than we are, that's first. Um, And Satan has been here since the beginning of created beings. All right? I said since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of created beings, he was an angel. right? Fallen angel. So we know that. So he's aware of a lot of things that we aren't aware of. Um, so you might say, well, that gives Satan the upper hand when he comes and attacks us. No, because we have been dwelling of the Holy Spirit and we have God with us. We have the upper hand. And he knows that. So he has to beguile and try to trick us. Because we have the upper hand. We've already won. But he says, if, this is not a if you might be or if prove yourself. This is a, this is more like sense. are the Son of God this is if and I know you are or if and you are this is a Greek type of phrase right here if and you are the Son of God is what it really says command that these stones become bread this is not a we've we've read this a lot of times we're like oh you just command him to eat because he's hungry all right this is not just a mere appeal to Jesus flesh That's really not what this is. And if you read it just at that level, you miss the whole thing. This is the devil we're talking about. This is Jesus. Do you think that the devil thought that he could tempt Jesus with a just some small everyday temptation? Absolutely not. So we have to know that there's more in here and we gotta look at it. What the devil was asking, was tempting Jesus to do, hear this. What he was tempting Jesus to do was the same thing, kind of, that we, that we read when, when Jesus came into Jerusalem. and They were like, Hosanna, Hosanna. What were they doing? They wanted to make Jesus king before the cross. They, they didn't want him to suffer. They wanted him to be king. They wanted him to act outside of his time. They want him to act outside of his appointed time. The devil is telling Jesus to act like God. He's saying, if you are God, because, you know, son of God is equal to God, right? We talked about that characteristic. So he's saying, if you are God, act like God. Jesus understood some things remember Jesus did not come to act like God he didn't need to take on flesh to be God he came to take man's place so he was he came to function like man not act like God you can't separate God and man, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying he came to take man's place, I already said that, that's why he was baptized. He came to take man's place, to demonstrate how to obey God's authority and to do God's will while resisting his will, or the flesh. All right. He came to take man's place to demonstrate how to obey God's authority and do God's will while resisting his will flesh. Satan wanted him to go beyond a, a, a move contrary to what he was appointed to do. See if Satan would have had him do that, he would have won. Jesus understood that. This is why he quotes, and go back, this is why he quotes, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live alone. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was big, what he said. What he what he what he quoted was from Deuteronomy chapter 8. What's interesting is this is the story where there's recalling. God is saying. Follow the commands um, in the wilderness. It's a testing time. It's a trying time. He says, he humbled you and let you be hungry, he fed you with manna. God is saying, I'm going to provide everything that you need. All right. Life is more than just you need to, to peel and feed your flesh. I'm going to provide. You got to trust in me. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. And that's what he quoted to the devil who tried to get into to surrender to his flesh he was really saying don't don't be man's substitute be god and she said no i came to be man i came to show man how to live like man is supposed to live before god and that's totally depend on god so this was jesus had to go in the wilderness to prove to be tested, to be tried, to prove himself. That's the experience. Now you look at a passage like like Hebrews chapter 2. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in those pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. But since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he was able to come to the aid of those who were tempted. So he had to go through it all, right? He had to go through it all. Um, this is not a when we go back to the the verse. This was not a whole debate on you know fasting, some simple. This was a deep, like theological debate that Jesus was having with the devil. Jesus was saying to the devil, "I came as man." For the sake of man I came As man for man's Benefit I came as man for man's benefit And so we have Here He says man shall not Live alone and if you look at the Matthew passage It gives us a little more than the Luke passage The Luke passage is a little bit of it He says at the end man shall not Live on bread alone but Matthew gives us the entire um, scripture passage. You know what I um what I thought was interesting is, you know, you read this, you, you look at it, and you say, well, Satan was was tempting Jesus to turn the stones to bread, and we know that God, that Jesus could have did it because we have stories like, you know, he took the two fish and five loaves of bread and he fed out the five thousand people over there. But you don't want to mix those things up because, like I just said, when Jesus performed a miracle, it was for the benefit of the people. When Jesus performed a miracle, it was for the benefit of the people. If he would have come if he would have turned these stones into bread, there was no benefit for the people. He came as man for the sake or benefit of man. So that this was this clearly wasn't about just turning some stones the bread. Did he have the power to do it? Yes, that wasn't, the, that wasn't what he was called to do right now. He was called to be tried and tested and tempted by the devil as man would be and overcome it the way that man should overcome his problems and situations, which is the word of God. You can't overcome your problem, situation, circumstances with the flesh. The flesh is weak. You can't. So when we approach issues in our life when we approach conflict in our relationships and with our kids and marriage and people and all of these things that we take on, the only way we can overcome these issues in the flesh is not with the weapons of the flesh. It's with God. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God in the bringing down of strongholds and that whole passage. We fight with God's strength, not strength in the flesh, because there is none. I, I, another little nugget as I close this, um, this lesson up, if you look at this temptation right here, he quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's just another interesting thing that I noticed. If you look at the second temptation we look at next week, he's going to quote from Deuteronomy as well. you look at the third temptation, he's going to quote from Deuteronomy as well. And you might say, oh, that doesn't mean anything. He just happened to quote. I don't think that Jesus just happens to do anything. He quoted three scriptures from Deuteronomy You gotta ask yourself, why did he do that? What did Deuteronomy represent? Deuteronomy, Dudo, Deutero, and and Euronomy or however you break it apart, means second law It was the law for the people It was the law for the people The people were supposed to follow the law, all the commandments so Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy because he said, I came to fulfill the law. So when he was speaking of Jesus, when he was speaking of Satan, he wasn't just saying, well, oh, let me give you a random scripture. He was saying, you're asking me to act like God. I came to be man and fulfill the law that man could fulfill. So I'm going to quote Deuteronomy. Oh, he quoted from Psalms. Jesus, come back, he quoted Deuteronomy. Oh, he quoted from something else. Jesus came back and quoted Deuteronomy. Jesus was emphasizing that I am the fulfillment of the law. I am here to be the perfect man. So I'm going to quote everything. He stressed it. Sometimes we need to take that approach. Sometimes when we deal with problems and temptations, we we need to consistently use the same thing that's been successful in our life. Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy, not once, not twice, but three times To emphasize his purpose For coming on this earth I'm going to ask that This week That you read Psalms 95 Psalms 95 recalls The the, the Exodus Experience of them In the wilderness um, But I'm going to ask that you take that time um, This week and, and read um, That passage of scripture I'm going to Stop my screen for a moment here and pray Um, And then um, after I pray, I'm gonna have up some um, Reminders um, just just for our church on the screen as well as we um, as we close out, but I want to come in and um, Pray with you so give me one more If you could bow with me for a word of closing prayer Oh Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you, Uh, thanking you for sending us your Son, Jesus Christ to take our place, to live the perfect life, to show us how to obey, to show us how to follow you, to show us how to surrender to your will and our flesh, to show you how to defeat death, Satan, um, and anything that we could face. We thank you for caring for us, for loving us, and in spite of the many times that we fall and fail, we just thank you, God, for who you are, um, and we just pray that you'd be with our church, and continue to be with our leadership in our church, um, continue to help us just to maintain fellowship, even if it's just a phone call or a text message or an email, uh, so that we can maintain that, that brotherly fellowship. We ask that you would just continue to be with our nation, um, our leaders, as they're making decisions that many of us couldn't make, um, and that we entrust in that you know what's best and that you will uh, be with our leaders as well Uh, we thank you and love you it's in your son jesus christ's name we pray amen so close despite my distance distance oh yeah and you're always good you're always present present when my faith is fading, your love will still embrace me I know that I can make it, I can make it When my faith is fading, your love will still embrace me I know that I can make it, I can make it You're with me when I walk through fight. Even when I face the giant in the darkness with the light, To the devil that he's alive